0: i'm on a mountain i'm on a roller coaster sailing across the sky and the only trouble is in wondering why
1: Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter live on television, they can go to www.hotm.tv, watch it live streaming video from anywhere in the world. I was a born-again Mormon. We made the manuscript available on downloadable PDF by going to bornagainmormon.com. Uh, the hard copy is available now, so if you want to go and order that, you can as well. How's your Bible knowledge? Why not join us for a weekly, never-denominational, verse-by-verse study of the Word of God, campus Christian assemblies meeting to prayerfully understand Scripture. We meet every Sunday at either our, our northern Utah location, uh, which is at Alpine Church, 5050 South, 1275 West in Riverdale, Utah. Those are going to begin Uh, this coming Sunday, next Sunday, the following after the 30th, that's when those are going to begin, and then you can always come to the U of U, uh, go to uh, www.calvarycampus.com and you can get information like directions, etc. Listen, a couple of great church recommendations out there, in addition to, uh, good Shepherd Lutheran in Sandy, Sandy Ridge in Sandy, Center Point in Orem, Layton Hills Baptist in Layton, Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City. Well, we also give Calvary Chapel, Cedar City. Give that church a really good look, folks, because it's excellent and we support them completely with Pastor Joe Carroll. And then Grace Bible in Springville is an excellent church here in, in Utah, and we highly recommend that church, their pastor, and the whole thing that's going on there. So give them a look. Also, every Sunday afternoon, maybe while you're driving to uh, Campus Bible Study, you can tune in to KUTR AM 820 and listen to replays of Heart of the Matter from 1 to 2 p.m. every Sunday afternoon right there on KUT, uh, R, truth. Now, um, also check out, and we haven't mentioned this in a while, but we are so grateful to utlm.org. Uh, Utah Lighthouse Ministry.org and the work, the pioneering work they have done in researching uh, LDS history, doctrine, praxis, and everything else. So uh, check out utlm.org because it's an excellent resource to get to the truth. Hey, I'm wearing this old cowboy hat in honor of a good friend down in Spanish FARC, Scott, a uh, good old boy and good... Uh, God bless you, Scott, and we're grateful for uh, all that you are and all that you've been and your family. Last week, we announced the year of 2011 is going to be a year of guests, and we sent out an open call to anyone who believes they have a cogent, uh, applicable, and worthwhile uh, presentation in the Mormon Christian debate. Please, if you know anyone or yourself included, send us your name, contact information, the topic you would like to discuss here on the air, and we'll be in touch with you. Just email us at sean at and uh, we're setting the whole year up with the 52 guests, so let us know who you are and what you want to say. Speaking of guests, I have a guest I want to introduce to you tonight. Come on over, my friend. This is Wayne Jackson. Now, I know Wayne's mom and uh, stepfather but uh, I just got to meet Wayne today and uh, Wayne is, a, is an amazing young man and he uh, has come from a very unique experience and I'm just wondering if you could share it with, uh, with the audience my friend
2: I come out from uh, Shafter, California with uh, Teen Challenge International it is, uh, it's for life controlling uh, issues in your life it's an ability to get away into a Christian faith-based program Uh, The phone number would be 661-746-4917. And uh, it's there to help with with knowing Christ. Now, tell us about why you went to Teen Challenge. What was the circumstance, Wayne? Leading up to it was uh, a long, about 15 years of drug addiction. And uh, it wasn't until I found Christ to be able to find that salvation in my life. And uh, Teen Challenge, is it only for teens? It is not only for teens. In Southern California, it is for adults. But the rest of throughout the country, there is for adolescents as well. And is it free? It is a free program. And you were in it for how long? I've been in there for 14 months. And you just got hired by him, didn't you? I just now have become staffed, yes. Yeah, isn't
1: that awesome? The important thing about this, uh, and this just touched my heart with listening to Wayne, is that he not only uh, overcame his addiction, 15-year addiction to drugs, uh, he overcame it because of the Lord. And that's the difference between, you know, what a rehab center or something else would be. This man is on fire for God, and uh, really an honor to meet you. Look forward to seeing what you're going to do. They may be bringing a Teen
2: Challenge here to Utah. That's your hope, right? That's our hope. Our hope is trying to get that.
1: So keep that in prayer, my friends. Thanks, my brother. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. All right. Last week, we took a call from a kind woman. I believe her name was Mary, I think, and she stated she was Catholic, and she proceeded to tell the viewing audience that she, what she believed Catholicism was all about. Uh, our caller was merely expressing her opinion of, of what she believed Catholicism required to enter heaven. Now, even I could tell, and I know very little about Catholicism, but I could tell that, that, uh, that Mary didn't know all the facts, And I received calls and emails uh, from many Catholic viewers telling me that she did not represent the faith well. So what's the point in me bringing this up? The point is, what does all this mean? Okay, Mary, a lifelong Catholic, doesn't know the facts about what Catholics uh, believe on how you're saved. That's the, the argument. A Bill in Tooele doesn't know the facts about Mormonism and what they teach and what it means. Uh, a Lucinda in Los Angeles doesn't know the facts about her faith either, but continues to go week in and week out. But Mary and Bill and Lucinda all attend divergent religions, all of which teach a different body of beliefs. Codified religions would have us believe that we need to possess their special corner of information in order to be right with God. But in most cases, with the exception of the clergy, very few people on earth really know and understand what their specific faith believes and requires. Jesus said in John seventeen three, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. My daughter Cassidy recently observed that it seems far too many people today identify more with Christianity than they do with Christ. In a similar vein, we could say and not be wrong that far too many people today identify with being Catholics or Mormons or other isms or ists rather than to Jesus and Jesus alone. Look, organized religion has its place. Hooray for you if you're this or if you're that or if you attend here or if you attend there. But do you know the true and living God and his son who he sent? Have you, as Paul noted to the believers in Thessalonica, quote, turn, from, turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God? The idols in this conversation being your religions. This knowing the only true and living God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent is much, much more than having kind of a speculative acquaintance with him and knowing the stories about his life. It is not just attending a church or donating money or serving in the Memorial Day breakfast. It's knowing him, knowing him. You see, when you know him, you will be eternally altered in terms of your ideas, opinions, allegiances, and perspectives. And your respective religion, uh, yes, even your respective idols, will take a back seat to your living faith. Unlike other Christian ministries, Aletheia Ministries does not care at all where you sit every Sunday, week after week, month after month, and year after year. If you choose to feed yourself off dead teachings of men, be my guest. But we do care about is do you know the true and living God and the son who he has sent? Because once you do, he will help you know where you ought to be sitting every day of every week of every month. And um, that is our uh, true uh, hope and desire through this ministry. With that, let's have a prayer. Lord, we thank you and love you, and we are so grateful that you're in our lives. We pray to know you better, and we pray to understand you better um, outside and far away and apart from the religious superstructures that men and women have created for us to belong to. We pray that we'll have an intimate relationship with you now and forever into the eternities, We pray for our volunteers, our technical issues, our our audiences, wherever they may be. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a very important verse in the book of Galatians every Christian should constantly consider. Paul is writing to the church at Galatia where the body of believers had readopted the law and mixed it in with their faith that they once had. And he asks in Galatians 3.3, Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect in your flesh? In other words, have you who have been saved by grace through faith by the Spirit, now are you going to return to elements of the law so that you can feel like you are perfecting your own flesh? We know a few facts about humanity. First, we are typically social animals. We need other people, we like to belong, we like to be accepted and to interact. This makes us feel loved and secure. Second, we also feel and like to belong to groups that share similar views or interests or mindsets and goals. This makes us feel accomplished and progressive. Finally, we like to belong to groups that allow us to advance and we make heroes of those in our group who rise above the rest of us. Finding acceptance by belonging to a group is one thing, but belonging to a group that not only accepts you but is driven by the same goals and intentions you love is doubly rewarding. Institutions, groups, militaries, corporations, religions, and even nations learn to capitalize on this basic human need and um, they thrive uh, in this human attraction to the elements that they provide. Unfortunately, these very human needs often lead to people making the mistake of placing their hope and their allegiance and their devotion and trust in the world group and not on the living God. This is the very thing I was just talking about when it came to Mary and Catholicism and Bill and Mormonism and Lucinda and whatever church she belongs to. Because humans need to belong and be accepted and because we might lack faith To face God every day alone and to trust Him over the group, there exists a very natural inclination for all human beings to organize themselves into these collectives and fraternities and other entities that sort of become fathers to the fatherless and mothers to the motherless and and our family and and our brothers and our sisters. Every group or order from street gangs in Los Angeles to highbrow skull and bones at Yale operate from this point of satiating these basic human desires to be accepted, to belong, to find safety in numbers, and to progress up through the ranks in order to glorify the flesh. God himself implemented some of these principles in the establishment of the nation of Israel back when they were under the law as a means to strengthen them and keep them from the pollutions of a pagan world. Nevertheless, since his finished work on the cross and his ascension to the heavenly throne, we can be certain that a personal relationship with Yeshua neutralizes every man-made institution and demands that all these earthly institutions, powers, religions, and groups conform to his will and ways and nothing more or less." Man-made groups will always do one of three things relative to true Christianity and the manual that we use, the Bible. It will add to the Bible, you know, expand upon its demands, it will take from the Bible, you know, say it isn't important or it really isn't necessary, and or it will reinterpret the Bible and assign its own special twists upon it. Enter Freemasonry, our topic for tonight. What is Freemasonry and where did it come from and how has it influenced Mormonism past and present? Let me take you on a very brief historical journey. All of it conceived and contrived in the faithless minds of men, in my opinion. For simplicity's sake, we're going to make our starting point when out of fear that Islam was going to rule the world, men who called themselves Christian began killing Muslims. We know this as the time of the Crusades. The first crusade began about 1095 AD. Constantinople was under threat of being overtaken by the Turks, and being that since Muslims had, had Muslims had taken and over and controlled the holy city of Jerusalem for more than four centuries, this threat had to be taken seriously. The Crusade Uh, to help protect the Byzantine Empire from Muslim attack, quickly morphed into a crusade to then take back the holy city of Jerusalem, which these Christian crusaders did. But they came in and butchered the innocent residents of the city of Jerusalem too, which made them hated by surrounding countries. By 1119, Christian pilgrims were being slaughtered in their travels into the Holy Land, and something had to be done. Well, a group of nine knights came together and offered to protect the kingdom of Jerusalem. These knights lived under a holy order uh, based on the rules of St. Augustine. These warrior monks won the heart of the Christian ruler of Jerusalem, and he let them take up residence on the Temple Mount where Solomon's Temple once stood. They were known as the Poor Knights of the Temple of Solomon, or later for short, the Knights Templar. I'm not gonna go into their whole history, but just know they grew wealthy and powerful and controlling over the years, and as every man made orders go, they soon fell. In 1307, the Knights Templar were led by a man who was known as the Grand Master de Molay. Remember that name. Who was burned at the stake for being a Knights Templar, and that began the end of the rule of the Knights. Enter the Middle Ages. During these years, builders, architects, and craftsmen gathered together to construct the Gothic cathedrals in and around Europe. They were known as Freemasons because, as their name says, they were free to apply their trade or craft as opposed to medieval serfs who were bound to a local noble. On the locations of their jobs, or at the construction site as it were, these Freemasons who were recognized by the tool belts or tool aprons that they wore while they worked, would set up places to eat, sketch their designs, and even apply their trade. These places were secret places that only those who wore those aprons and had those skills could attend. These locations were known as lodges, okay? So now nobody was allowed in these lodges except those who were initiated in the mysteries of the craft of Freemasonry. These Freemasons were just as concerned about protecting their craft as writers are concerned and musicians and computer programmers are concerned about protecting their work today. Now, like many mythmakers, the Freemasons started to pass on that their fellowships dated back to Solomon's Temple. And it gave them a ready-made history which gave them credence. This is where the tie to the Knights Templar comes in because remember in the early years they were allowed to reside on Mount Moriah where Solomon's Temple had been and uh, built by the true and living God. If you don't believe there's a connection between the man-made group called the Knights Templar and the Freemasons, just ask any Mason the name of the youth groups that they have today. And you know what they'll tell you? Oh, they're called the Demolays. And do you remember what the name was of the Grand uh, grand Master of the Knights Templar who was burned at the stake? That's right, Jacques de Molay. All right, but also know this, Solomon's Temple and the activities that went on therein no way represent or reflect anything done by the Freemasons or the Mormons who borrowed from them so heavily later on. As the Freemason guilds and lodges grew, so did their need to set standards to guard their trade secrets and skills. So they started to participate in special initiations with each other, in special places called temples, no less, in order for qualified members, who pay dues, to unite and therefore feel more exceptional, elite, inclusive, and therefore safe. Because these guilds were composed of men of intelligence and skill, their appeal really grew. And uh, once Europe emerged from the Middle Ages, many men of reputation wanted to be admitted to the Freemason Lodge. Where original guilds were getting established somewhere between 1350 and 1450 and no earlier, by 1620, Freemasonry was open to all qualifying men of reputation, whether they were involved in the construction trade or not. By the end of the 18th century, Freemasonry became a guild of productive men who sought to live better lives, and a body of rites and rituals that reinforced these desires started to become standardized among the guilds found throughout England, Scotland, and France. Now remember, these men used symbols of their trades to remind them of the type of men they longed to remain or become. These symbols included the compass and the square which were essential to the craft of middle-age construction. For example, to Freemasons back then, the square stood for straight, uh, straightforward virtue. The compass was to circumscribe a man's passions, the plumb line to remind him to stay upright. Over time, Freemasons adopted and incorporated other signs, symbols, lore, and mythology to accompany their secret handshakes, grips, and rituals of advancement within the lodges itself. All of these vows and rituals were kept from the curious public, which not only made Freemasonry seem like it had something to hide, but it also made it grow. The first American Lodge was established in Boston in 1733. By 1752, Benjamin Franklin and George Washington were Freemasons, and by the early 1800s, so were most civilized and accomplished men in settled America. But Masonry made a big mistake. It collectively stood behind the strange disappearance of a man named William Morgan, who was going to publish the secret rites and rituals and the comings and goings of the Freemasons. His death and disappearance caused a national outcry, and Masonry began to slip into a far less prominent position in America and has remained there. Oh, and the widow of William Morgan, the, the Mason who was killed and disappeared, what happened to her? She ended up being one of Joseph Smith's secret wives. Enter Joseph Smith and Nauvoo Mormonism. Now Joseph Smith's early writings were filled with material that condemned secret societies like Mason's, but they are, there are indications that by 1838 his attitude towards secret groups had changed. Once Smith went to Nauvoo, he became a Mason, formed what is known as the Council of 50, a secret group, and ultimately established the secret temple ceremony worthy LDS participate today, in today. Mormon apostle John A. Woodstow admitted, quote, many of the saints were Masons, such as Joseph's brother Hiram, Heber C. Kimball, Elijah Fordham, William uh, Newell K. Whitney, James Adams, and John C. Bennett. With the permission of Joseph Smith, members of the church petitioned the Grand Master of Illinois of Masonry to set up their own lodge in Nauvoo, a town settled by the Latter-day Saints. They were granted permission to hold lodge meetings in October of 1841, but it was in March of 1842 before the authority was given to set up an actual lodge and to induct new members. The man they call the prophet of God, even Joseph Smith, became a member of the lodge and there learned all the signs, tokens, grips, handshakes, uh, and symbols of masonry. This was prior to his introducing the Mormon temple rituals and rites, which upon comparison are proven just to be another plagiarism by Smith. The following statement is recorded in Joseph Smith's History of the Church, Volume 4, page 551, under the date of March fifteenth, 1842. Quote, In the evening, I received the first degree in Freemasonry in the Nauvoo Lodge, assembled in my general business office. The record for the next few days reads, quote, I was with the Masonic Lodge and rose to the sublime degree. The Mormons who joined the Masonic Lodge soon found themselves in trouble with other members of the fraternity. You see, Joseph Smith was never content to leave things in their original state or to give credit to the originator. Like Christianity and our Bible, Joseph took what he wanted, made it his own, made his own version by twisting it around, then called the original sources corrupt and his revisions inspired. This made the Freemasons angry and they ultimately refused to allow the Mormons to continue to have a Masonic lodge at Nauvoo. But Joseph nor the Mormons cared. You see, he got exactly what he wanted from the whole experience, short-lived as it was. Inspiration. And soon he introduced to Mormons, uh, what they refer to as the endowment. But Joseph didn't only tie the endowment, uh, didn't only tie the endowment to living better lives like the Masons did. Joseph Tide receiving the endowment to a person's very salvation. This is the genesis of the Mormon temple work. Did you know that the beehive, the all-seeing eye, the hand grips, the sun, moon, and stars, and passwords all originated uh, with Freemasonry in our Uta- and is part of Utah Mormonism today? Also employed as icons in Mormonism, which Joseph took directly from Freemasonry, are the compass, the square, which are in the LDS garments that they wear. Two triangles formed a six-pointed star, and the phrase holiness to the Lord, which the Freemasons borrowed from the Bible. Speaking of Joseph Smith, LDS author Richard Bushman wrote in one of his more recent books, quote, he had a green thumb for growing ideas from tiny seeds. Masonic rites seem to have been one more provocation, end quote. Joseph Smith's father had joined the Masons when Joseph was just 11 years old. His brother Hiram joined a few years later, then in May of 1842, Joseph Smith advanced to the highest level in a a two-day period. Six weeks later, he delivered those who followed, believed, and trusted him his own endowment based on the elements found in Freemasonry. In doing so, Joseph made the progress and advancement of men and women or the perfection of their flesh the focus of the religion, and he used symbols of another man-centered group to do it. As a result, Mormonism today, though claiming to be Christian, is not too far from being just another social institution to which people like to belong to because it makes them feel safe, progressive, loved, and protected. Less than a year before he died, Joseph Smith said in an address to the saints, quote, let me be resurrected with the saints, whether to heaven or to hell. What do we care if the society is good? End quote. As we draw around to 2012, when this nation will earnestly look to a political leader to save us from certain social destruction that lies in wait, I fear we will, even as Christians, like Joseph Smith and those who follow him, embrace earthly solutions to our spiritual problems and implement them in the name of God. I fear well-meaning, well-meaning Christians will sincerely enter into trade with him who offers institutional hope, promises of peace, and an earthly society that seems good at first. There is not a symbol, a garment, or a handshake known to man that will allow him or her to enter into the presence of God. Only Yeshua, my friends. Only Yeshua. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Now before we go to a partner spot, I want to provide you with just a few other things that came first before Mormonism. It's going to take just a second, but this is from Duncan's Ritual of Freemasonry, and I personally read this and took note, and it gives the, the... The whole order of Freemasonry dating back to the 1700s. Everything you're going to see scrolling on the screen right now comes from Freemasonry. See if you recognize any of these things in the religion called Mormonism. The mystic veil which has long been lifted, the compass in the square, brethren, put on your apron. I can't even keep up. Keep it going. These are all from, just keep going, all from masonry. Those opposed by the same sign. Found worthy. Three distinct knocks. Token. Signs and tokens. Has it a name? It has. Will you give it to me? I did not receive it. A new name. Let us report. Five points of fellowship. Orders of the priesthood, the new era, tracing your genealogy, all of it, my friends, all of it started with Freemasonry, all of it. Let's take a break, look at the spot for the partner's plan and we'll come back and take your calls. I'm Sean McCraney, you're watching Heart of the Matter. Television is becoming an expensive proposition for us and so we developed a program called Partners for those who are led of the Lord to participate and uh, are in a position to. Now, why, with all the great Christian ministries out there, would you want to partner with Alathia Ministries? Let me give you a couple of reasons. One, we try to use your funds optimally. That means every dollar is used to get the, the program on television, on streaming video throughout the world, on, in our archives, and now on Dish TV beginning on uh, the 8th. Of June. Second, Mormonism is growing strong. 65,000 missionaries every day knocking on doors. 850 people per day coming out of evangelical Christianity and joining Mormonism. Uh, finally, the Lord has blessed the, the ministry with great fruit. We're so appreciative. How to partner with us? Couple ways. First, you can uh, go online to www.hotm.tv and just look on how to partner and go from there. Second, you can call us at 888-868-4686 or you can write us at Alathia Ministries, 4760 Highland Drive, number 515, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84117. We truly appreciate all of your support, all of it. God bless you as you consider partnering with us in the future. Our text people just sent me a message. It says, numerous callers are complaining that your hat is taken away from the message. And it says, Han says I look like Haas Cartwright. And, uh, but that he likes Wayne is what he's doing. I'm sorry, if all you guys are thinking it's taken away, then I'll take it off. Never! You guys can go watch America's Top Model. All right. Oh, you thought you were? Uh, okay. Uh, Now, uh, we have some callers. We have Ethan from Kaysville. We have Margo from West Jordan. And uh, emails, other callers, uh, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. And uh, let's go to Margo. First-time caller. Margo, you're on Heart of the Matter.
3: Hi, Sean. God bless you. My question is, I've been talking to a, a Mormon friend of mine, and basically my question is, did... Do Mormons believe that Jesus Christ died in the Garden of Gethsemane, or do they believe that he died on the cross?
1: Yeah, they believe he physically died on the cross, absolutely. Okay, so... Go ahead.
3: My my question is, you know, because I tell my friend, basically, well, don't you think that it's insulting to think that that wasn't enough? But he also said, faith without works is dead. So, I was just, I'm just confused,
1: and... I'm confused, too.
3: Are they, like, really believe that, you know, are they believers in Christ, or is it all just confusion?
2: Yeah,
1: you know, um, it's really interesting. We give an example, Margot, and let me just give it to you kind of with my hands right now. I want you to imagine that, that this cup is filled with water... And it is also, uh, uh, half of it's filled with water and half of it's filled with salt. That would make it the strongest solution we can make of salt water, okay? Mm -hmm. And let's call that the true and living Christ, okay? Mm -hmm. So then let's take that that solution, but let's pour it into a swimming pool. And how diluted would the salt water then get in the size of a swimming pool? Very. Right, and then let's take that swimming pool and let's pour it into the Pacific Ocean. Okay, or or into, or into a non-salt water body of water. Uh-huh. See, and that's about what happens with Mormonism and Jesus. They have his name in the title, so there's salt in the water. They, they say he is the Savior. There's salt in the water. But they also twist everything else about him. They take okay. the good news of his gospel, which is he came in his righteousness, saved us from under the law, saved us by grace, and they add to that. Mm -hmm. A whole bunch of things. So what they have done is they have diluted Christ to the point where he's ineffective, in my Mm -hmm. opinion. Mm -hmm. As a religion, they have. Now, I know there's LDS who do know Jesus and have uh, understood him, but it's very, very rare because they've added so many things and twisted so many things up. Does that help?
3: It does. I thank you, Sean. God bless
1: you. God bless you. Take care. Bye-bye. We're going to Ethan in Kaysville, uh, who is LDS Ethan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi, Ethan.
4: Good, how are you doing? Doing well. That's good. Well, well, I'm a Mormon, and I just wanted to know what's the difference between a Mormon and a Christian. I'm sorry. I just wanted to know.
1: The difference between a Mormon and a Christian? Yeah. Everything. Really? Yeah, I mean, truly. You know, I have an email, Uh, Ethan, I have an email in front of me somewhere, and uh? and the question asks, what do you think about all the good... The Mormons do. Oh, I see. And and, and you know what? What? Uh, if from a earthly perspective, bravo, they do they do good works just like any local organization, yeah. like the Shriners or the Freemasons. Okay? okay, but in an eternal perspective, I am not impressed with their works at all. In fact, I right. think they hinder people knowing the Lord. So it, okay. it's night and day between their approach to biblical Christianity and how Christians approach Christianity, okay. and that's why I say they have nothing in common.
4: I see. And how are you saved? I mean, and that's another question. I mean, how do you? How, how are you saved?
1: How are you saved? Yeah. Saved by faith. Uh, saved by grace through faith.
4: Yeah, Sa- to have obedience and stuff. I mean, do you, have,
1: you to have to what?
4: Do you have to have obedience and stuff? Be a good person or?
1: Well, we, weren't, we aren't obedient. That's why we are saved by grace. Even after you've received Christ by faith, you're still not obedient. Yeah. You're, uh, uh, you're going to die not obedient. So, know, obviously, it we're, can't be well, by obedience.
4: Yeah, I, I know we're not going to die perfect, but still going to be... You know, I, my belief, I, don't, I know, I don't really care if you believe me or not, but, but uh, so we're going to still strive to become perfect I mean, in the next life, and still strive to become... I don't know.
1: Well, the What's striving, so, so the, the problem is it removes then what Jesus did and it puts the onus for salvation upon a person's ability to strive.
4: I see. You see? see? I believe in Christ and I believe he died on the cross for all our sins and everything like that. And I believe only through him we can be saved. I can but, I, but I'm also a moment and oh. still believe all in God. And so I might have a rude awakening when I die, so I don't know.
1: Well let me just tell you let me just wrap this up with you, Ethan. Let me say this. For the Latter day Saints out there, I I I wanna bet I'm gonna put place a bet right now. I will bet my eternal salvation, eternal life, my life with God, that I go to God and I have nothing to show of my own merit, because it's all tainted by my own flesh. Yeah, and I have yeah. relied solely on the blood of Christ to save me. If I go before okay. God, which, I, which this won't happen, but if I go before him and he says, Sean, that wasn't enough, then I'm going to say, okay, send me to hell. Because that's okay. what I trust. Yeah,
4: I see what you. See. Can I ask you one more question real quick? Yeah. And yeah, this? us say for argument's sake that you get in the next life. And actually the moment church was the true church. Will you be surprised?
1: I, I'm, not, I'm not understanding you, Ethan. Go a little bit slower.
4: Oh, let's say he died, and, and he found out at the moment church was a true church, or a, a good church, That's not a true church, a good church. We be we, at the moment church was a good church, we be surprised. We be surprised.
1: No, I, 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 wouldn't be surprised. I would be, uh, I would be aghast, mortified. I would consider uh, God then duplicitous, uh, a I, fake, a phony, a liar. Uh, I would not be able to uh, believe anything again if I found out Mormonism was the truth because it is completely counter to the Word of God.
4: I see. Okay.
1: Hey, Ethan, bye. thanks for the call, my friend. No see you. Bye. God bless. Bye-bye. I had trouble understanding. We have a real raspy uh, thing here. We're going to Darren in Salt Lake City. He's a first-time caller. Darren, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, thank you. Hey, you got to turn your TV down, Darren. Okay, it's a television. It doesn't turn down. Okay. This is before television's had volume control. I'll
5: turn it down.
1: Hold on. All right, we'll wait for you, Darren. What have you been doing, Derek? (laughs) You sure you don't want to get something to eat while you're at it? I mean. Are you there, Darren?
5: I turned
1: the volume down. Okay, you got it? Yeah. All right, you're on the air. Tell it, we got some kind of static. Can we do something about that? Go ahead, Darren. Oh, I'm trying. Turning it down, is that difficult? No, I
5: turned it down. It's, it's totally gone.
1: Darren, I'm going to give you about three more seconds, and we've got to move on, my friend. Seriously? Two, I three. Wanna... All right, we're going to Renine in Ogden. Reneen, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hello, Reneen. Um.
6: Well, I have a a statement for you that I think you'll be pleased to hear, and second of all, I have a question for you. And the first thing, the statement is, is I read this book where um, this guy is talking about how he's a minister that marries people, and this lady calls in and she's like, "I'm a Christian," and he's like, "You know, questions are about what makes her a Christian." And she says, well, I'm white, and I'm born in the United States. And so I think that based on that, that's how the LDS can call themselves Christian.
1: uh, Are you supporting that statement, or are you saying how ridiculous that statement is?
6: I'm saying how ridiculously retarded that statement is.
1: (laughs) I'm glad to hear that, Renine. Yeah, think they used to say a lot more things like that, but it was it's, it's unfortunate.
6: Yeah, but, um, but, but the um, book that I was reading was called If the Church Were a Christian.
4: Oh. And
6: it was written by a Quaker, which, left, which leads me to my question of, what is a Quaker? Because I talked to my mom about it, and she said that basically it's an Amish person without being Amish.
1: Nice definition. Uh, I always thought it was a mini-earthquake, but anyway. Uh, now, uh, a Quaker, what happened, where the Quakers came over and they sought religious freedom from uh, the tyranny of uh, England. And so they were the first kind of, uh, not pioneers, pilgrims. And the Quakers got here and they were very strict and they were very stringent. They wanted to practice a more restrictive religion, very legalistic. Well, uh, the Amish broke off from the Quakers and they practice an even more uh, strict religion. And then from that, uh, the Mennonites broke off from them and practiced a less. So there's kind of this tree. But the Quakers, bottom line, were earlier, early Americans, pilgrims, sought religious freedom here in America. And they, um, they were very, very religious. Oh. In fact, I might be wrong on this, but I think it was the Quakers who believed in celibacy that could have, I think it might have been the Quakers, and so therefore, they had trouble growing. <laughs> Shakers! I knew it had something to do with all the movement. So, but, does that help?
6: Uh, my, last, my last thing I was going to tell you was that I decided to use my real name on the show because the first time I called in as my nickname, Mimi,
3: yeah,
6: and somebody figured out who I was, and they started going around my building that I live in, and calling me a Nazi. So that was some wow. modern-day Christian persecution there. So,
1: well, I'm glad you just kept your identity secret tonight. Hey. well,
6: actually, it's my real name. Because I figured, you know, what? If I get if I get persecuted, calls will be pushed on my head, and I'm all good.
1: All right. Thanks for the call, Renine.
6: Yep. Thanks. Yep. Bye.
1: Okay, bye. What do we need to turn down? Okay, we're down. Let's try this again. All right, we're going to John in Overland Park, Kansas. I'm waiting for a second. We're having quite a technical show tonight. Listen, this is from Oscar Ramirez. He says, I have a question. I'm a Christian and I pay 10% to God, but I'm listening to you. It makes me question if this is necessary. What do you think of it? Well, I think it's awesome that you pay 10 uh, percent to God, Oscar. I think that uh, it's a, uh, a thing from your heart, and God will take two percent or five percent or 10 or 20, or whatever your heart says. Now, if you are a Christian and you pay 10 percent because you believe that it is required by God, that it's, that's a minimum I've had someone tell me before, that's a minimum of what you give to God. That's baloney. Okay, We only have one reference in terms of tithing. There's other references, but one direct reference, and it's not tithing. It just says you should be a cheerful giver. You should be a, h- a hilarious giver. That means if you can only give a dollar of your million dollars, and that's the only amount you can give cheerfully, that's what you should give because the rest of it is going to mean nothing. It's going to burn like wood, hay, and stubble. Uh, you, you want to give because God has inclined you to give, and you want to be cheerful and hilarious about it. And if you don't, keep your money. Okay, so, but I I think that's wonderful that you give, and your churches need that, so make sure you support your churches. Okay, so let's go to John in Overland Park, Kansas. John, you're on Heart of the Matter.
7: Hey, good to hear from you. Nice to hear from you. Well, uh, I'll try to be brief with this. It's kind of a complicated question, though. Basically, I have uh, two LDS people that I know, and they're having a uh, discussion about another uh, woman who in their ward who had a uh, miscarriage, and she was, you know, asking for opinions on if she would be reunited with her child in, uh, you know, the afterlife, and basically, the thing that alarmed me was the, um, I guess the bishop or someone in the bishop uh, gave her the answer that maybe God had another body to put the spirit child into, and as a pro-life Christian, you know, that concerns me because um, it basically sounds like, you know, they believe that Uh, children are just, their physical bodies are just these vessels for spirits coming out of the pre-mortal existence, and, you know, my belief is that life begins at conception and that the soul is there from the beginning.
2: Right.
1: So the question, John, rephrase it for me.
7: Uh, basically, uh, as far as your experience, do Mormons kind of teach that, you know, uh, physical bodies or just vessels, or when, do they have an exact teaching about when a soul enters the
1: body? Uh, exact teaching, when the soul, no. Uh, I've heard different things, like what the Jews believe, it's when the mother first feels movement, but uh, you know, they have conflicting teachings, which is how they survive. They can stand on either one and get a quote that supports either, either argument. But, right. So, uh, but they, do, they, they take the physical body as much more important than Christians do. They think, oh yeah, yeah. So, the, in terms of when the the soul enters the body, I I don't know. Maybe someone has a quote on that, but I don't think they have an official pronouncement on that because they do allow abortion. They don't uh, right. condone in it, but they of do the allow rape it. And yeah, yeah. Right. Or if the mother's mental health is at a danger. So, right, uh, and a lot
7: of people, you know, stretch that and justify it for all kinds of reasons. Yeah. Right. So
1: I don't know the answer in terms of official. I don't think there is an f- official stance.
7: Okay, can I just ask real quick your personal opinion about, you know, the whole, does God put a soul in a body at conception, or is it created along with the body? Um, I've uh, always been a bit, like, confused about it, other than, you know, I
5: believe it's there.
1: Yeah, you know, I I believe that uh, creation is sacred. I believe at the minute of conception, it's, an, it's a very... And the reason I say this is... When the soul's there, I don't know, but I know that a sperm and an egg separately from each other, they make up no size whatsoever, but as soon as there is conception, you have 12 meters of DNA, 12 right. meters, so I know life is there, and that is sacred. When that living breath, that pneuma, it comes into that child, in, I, 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 I don't know, but I think that conception is sacred. Right. Yeah, so that's my, that's my stance, from the point of conception, it's a sacred living being created, knit together by God in the womb.
7: Right. I was raised Catholic, and I'm pretty much non-denom now, but, you know, that's always been a big part of my faith regardless yeah. of church affiliation. Yeah. So, uh, thanks for
1: taking my call. Hey, John, thanks for watching. Take care. God bless. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, we have Bradley and, uh, I mean, Andrew and Murray, first-time caller. Andrew, you're on Heart of the Matter.
5: Hello. Uh, how are you, Sean?
1: I'm doing well, Andrew. How are you?
5: Good. Uh, just a little backstory. I'm currently retired. I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois, and I came here to Salt Lake. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And my question is my uh, wife passed away about 18 months ago. I'm sorry. Thank you. And um, ever since that happened, um, I'm sorry if I get a little emotional here. Uh, she was a. Uh, a humanist, a non-believer, uh-huh. and when she passed away, I started looking for religion again. I grew up in a Catholic family in the suburbs of Chicago. Uh-huh. My question is, when I go to all these fundamentalist or Protestant evangelical people and I ask her, where's my wife? You know, she was a secular humanist. They say, you know, I don't know kind of the uh, missionary's equivalent of it's not pertaining to our salvation. Yeah. Um,
1: It's funny you know that as an ex-Catholic.
5: And um, I'm investigating with the missionaries right now, and you know, what Mormonism offers me, the Mormon brand of Christianity offers me, and what your Christianity offers me is that hope, that hope I can be with my wife again.
1: Yeah, you know what? If that's what it offers you and that's what you're most concerned about is the hope of being with your wife again, then maybe you ought to embrace it, Andrew. Because if that's where your, your foremost desire is to have someone who will tell you you will be with your wife again as a, and she was a secular humanist and you want that reassurance from men to tell you, yes, you'll be with her, you should be a Mormon. But Andrew, Andrew... If you yeah. want to know the true and living God and you want to understand him and you want him to take over and really give you comfort and peace in your life and to be released from the burdens that come with that type of hope that Mormonism gives, then go to the places where they're brave enough to say, we don't know where your wife is. We, we leave that in God's hands who we trust completely. You see, anybody can make a promise Anybody can come up with some type of doctrine that is very itching to the ears and very appealing to the heart. But Andrew, if you, if your heart is to really know God, and everybody's heart should be to know Him first and foremost, then maybe you want to continue to seek out those those Christian faiths.
5: Um. Oh, okay. Thank you.
1: You're welcome, Andrew. Take care now. God bless you. Bye bye. We are going to. Uh, Jan and Provo, first-time caller. Jan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean? Yes, Jan.
8: This is Jan.
1: Hi, hi Jan. <laughs>
8: um, basically, I just really appreciate what you were talking about tonight.
1: Oh, I'm good. More,
8: you know, I'm Freemason. Yeah. Um. I had a really unique experience. I'm a born again Mormon, but this happened in 2005 when God started taking me out um, of Mormonism and started showing me the truth. And so I started praying because it's so mind-boggling, you know, God just keeps showing me the truth because I wanted to know, is the church true? Or, you know, what you're showing me, is that the truth? And I just re- really needed to know.
1: Yeah.
8: And so at the time I was in... I went into Barnes and Nobles and I was kind of looking in the Christian section and then I was walking down a row that I normally don't go down and this might sound a little strange but you know basically I felt like I was to stop and I did and I'm like okay God you know why am I stopping here and I felt like impressed to turn around and I did and there was all of these books and it was a book that was called Secrets of the Freemasons, huh. and I pulled the book out, and I started looking through it, and I was, I don't know, I was shocked, I was appalled, I was like, oh my gosh, everything in this book had to do with what I had, you know, been doing in the temple. Yeah. And I, I never ever even heard the word Freemason in my life. Wow. But I could see everything in this book, and I was, you know, I bought the book, and I read the book, and the book is basically, it's not written by a Christian, it's not written by a Mormon, it's just basically talking about Freemason. But, you know, it's just showing everything in there, and it even, you know, I went into the temple, I don't know, 30-something years ago, when they did the, the negative signs, and you probably know what I'm talking about. You know, not where good.
1: Scary stuff.
8: The scary stuff. Well, that's in here too. Yeah. And I'm just going, oh my gosh! And when I saw this, I mean, that just really did it for me.
1: Good. Everybody else listening, go into those uh, bookstores and look at uh, look at a non uh, look at a nonpartisan, bipartisan, partisan look for a partisan view of Freemasonry. Just open it up and read it. You'll be blown away like Jan was. Jan, really appreciate your call.
8: Thank you. Thanks One so- really quick comment. Um, I was watching on the History Channel, and they were talking about the Knights Templar and Freemasons. Yeah. yeah. Now what they said, what they said was the Knights of the Temple, or whatever they're called, you know, were yeah. when they were there. That they went like under the ground where Mount Solomon, the temple was. They went, you know, kind of digging around, and they found some papers. You know, I don't know if they were scriptures or what they were, but it was like. These papers that kind of show what went on in the temple there, um, in Solomon's temple, and so they had those papers. It's and all part of their re- myth. It's a myth. Is that a myth?
1: Absolute myth.
8: Okay, that's what I needed to hear because then, of course, they're right. saying that the Masons took right. these papers and.
1: Thanks, I- thanks, Jan. God bless you. Hey, thank you. Okay, bye. We're going to Lucia and Murray. First-time caller, Lucia. You're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hi, Lucia. You're on the air.
3: Yes.
1: Um, are you there? I am. You're on the okay. air. You've got to turn your TV down. And it's you've tough. got one minute, 50 seconds. Okay. Oh, I love this when
3: it happens.
1: Uh-huh. Lucia? Alicia. Okay, you're on the air.
3: All right. Hello?
1: You're on the air, Lucia. Yeah. Alicia. Alicia, you're on the air. All
3: right, I'm here.
1: Okay, talk.
3: Yes. Um. I heard I have a a friend that her uncle was a a, a, a Freemason. Yeah. And she wasn't allowed to associate with him because he was a Freemason Mason. But uh, he had told her that the um, Masons were really mad at Joseph Smith. Yeah. Because he um, stole
1: the Golden Plates from them. The Golden Plates? Yeah. <laughs> the myths just keep growing. <laughs> yeah, and I
3: was wondering if, if you heard
1: anything about that. No, not the stolen Golden Plates story, but you know what I do know is that uh, in Utah, for quite a while, Mormons could not be Masons by edict of the, of the Freemasons. They uh-huh. said we, no Mormon can be a Mason, and that I don't know if it's still in place, but for a long time they couldn't because they were so angry at Joseph Smith plagiarizing their, their, uh, pagan rights. So really good comment. Thank you. Uh, Licia. Alicia. Exactly. All right. See ya. <laughs> hey, uh, take one quick call Lorenzo and Magna Lorenzo. You're on heart of the matter. You've only got one minute, my friend Lorenzo. We are just having a problem. Lorenzo, are you there? All right. Want to give thanks to Stephen Dunn from Tweeds Head, Australia, who sends us great information. He says, uh, if we could add more pages to our our website, it it would be good if we had a recommendations page uh, for people. You know what we're working on right now? I want to get you really excited about this. We're working on, uh, we call them codices. And what it is, it's 125, maybe even 200 of the most frequently asked questions with full responses to them. Right now, I'm at about 300 pages. By the time it's done, it'll probably be 500 pages. But what it will do is you can look at the question, click on it, and it will take you to the answer. You can cut and paste it. We can compile it. It's going to be on the website. It will be so handy because anything you want to know, we're taking it from past shows, from books. Uh, We're giving biblical references, and it's going to be there for you from the most often asked questions and responses and challenges that Latter-day Saints give. Listen, as we wind up this last minute, I want to tell you something. This says Mormons say we are Christian. I I was just going through my files from Time Magazine, a a thing, Mormon Inc., an old thing. From Newsweek Magazine, the Mormons. Uh, From Newsweek again, the making of the Mormons. And then on Newsweek recently... uh, a Mormon's journey. They're getting uh, more and more and more press. If you go online, you're gonna find that they dominate the internet with false information. It's time to battle because in 2012, all those aspects of Freemasonry and that holy order uh, is going to come into play. And you got to decide which way you're going to go. So uh, get ready. Keep tuning in to Heart of the Matter. Check us out on www.hotm.tv. And you can watch any of the shows past archived. Until then, we will see you next week right here on Heart of the Matter. God bless you.
0: I'm on the right. The dawn's waiting till a hundred monkeys know And I can feel the light filled monkeys start.